0: We gather as companions on a journey to be reminded of mystery and of holy things. We gather to see each other's faces, to be reminded of the possibility that even in our essential aloneness, we may connect with each other. We gather to weave and reweave community that is animated by the mystery of life. We gather, Spirit of Holiness, to feel your presence, to worship, to listen, to gain insight and courage, and to celebrate the journey we make as companions. These words by Elizabeth Bertels welcome all those who gathered on Zoom this evening for the opening worship of this year's online summer school. This is the second year in a row that we've had to hold summer school online instead of in the Nightingale Centre at Great Hucklow, which has been its home for 25 consecutive years before that, until the pandemic intervened. We will be back. Quite a few of us gathered here tonight will be long-standing summer school enthusiasts, those who come back time and time again, for whom this week in August is a regular fixture on the calendar And I'm sure there are also plenty here tonight who have not yet had the chance to experience the full embodied summer school experience. And perhaps you're wondering what all the fuss is about. The in-person, 24-7, intense experience of spiritual community that is summer school, that is hard to convey in just a few words. Suffice to say, when we're in Hucklow, there is an extraordinary array of engagement groups and workshops, worship and talks, which take us deep into life's ultimate questions and which form lasting bonds between the participants. We can only offer a fraction of summer school online, I'm sad to say, but over the coming week, we have got a fine array of speakers lined up to take on a great theme. Before I go any further, I should mention a few practicalities. Um, There was a link to the order of service in the email that we sent out. So hopefully you can access that if you wanna keep track of where we are and what we're up to. We're going to keep you all muted throughout the service, so um, hopefully that will avoid any distractions from accidental unmuting and it will allow you to sing with uh, gusto. We're also going to keep the chat box closed for most of the evening for the same reason, but we will open it during the closing music for your uh, responses, particularly responses to the question, why are we here? Please remember that if your camera is on, we can see you. Uh, So if you go wandering about the house, please turn it off subtitles will be available uh, via the live transcript function on zoom they are automatically generated so they might be a bit hit and miss Uh, there might be some amusing miss translations and if you can't stay for the whole service or your connection is playing up don't worry we are recording this service Um, it should be available tomorrow if you need to catch up so tonight's service is intended to gather us as a virtual community for this week And to introduce our theme for 2021 why are we here discerning our unitarian mission in an upturned world so why are we here why are we here tonight i mean what brought us each to log in this evening and turn our attention towards such a big question there are so many different ways we could answer perhaps it's a topic that you're already passionate or opinionated about perhaps you're just here out of curiosity Maybe you're here out of loyalty or duty. Maybe you were at a loose end, so you thought, well, might as well. But zoom out from that perspective a bit. In a sense, you're here tonight because somehow the path of your life brought you into contact with Unitarianism. You're here because summer school exists, because a group of visionaries got it going in the first place 20 something years ago. And a chain of hands has kept it alive ever since then you are here because Unitarianism exists, because a few brave souls dissented way back when, because their sense of religious purpose was strong enough to go against the grain. And just enough of us have been inspired by that vision ever since, to keep the flame burning. So we're gonna light our chalice now. Kate is hosting our chalice for the week. It's one that actually came from the Nightingale Centre in Great Hucklow, so it's a nice connection. If you have a candle to hand, I invite you to light it too. This simple ritual connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over and it reminds us of the proudly progressive religious tradition of which this gathering is part. By the lighting of this chalice, let us recall the nurturing light of God, which infuses, unites and uplifts all creation. Let us celebrate the nurturing light of humanity, which urges us to choose the paths of goodness, to seek our better selves. And let us celebrate the nurturing light within, which awakens deep in our being, illuminating all the possibilities of who and what we may yet become. Let's sing together now. Our first hymn tonight is Children of a Bright Tomorrow. This is one we used to sing a lot in my home congregation 20 odd years ago when I first stumbled into Unitarianism, but I haven't heard it quite so much in recent years. I wonder if this is due, at least in part, to the closing line, which I expect takes some people aback at least perhaps most of us don't know what to make of it the hymn closes with the phrase may we know our timeless mission universal avatars when I first heard that I had to go home and look up what avatar meant an incarnation or manifestation of the divine so you know we're aiming high with this first hymn already perhaps our mission is indeed to know ourselves in some sense as the hands of heart of god in the world or the embodiment of goodness we might explore that aspiration a bit more later on and as the week goes on perhaps but for now let's join in singing our gathering hymn children of a bright tomorrow
1: Blessings of Community by Douglas Taylor. Alone in the world, I was beset with frustration and anger at the world around me. So much injustice and hatred, so little peace and freedom. I longed to make a difference. I struggled against powers and institutions, but my actions seemed insignificant and my words were drowned out. Then I came into community, a religious community of hope and love. Here I found support and energy, vision and power, the authority of shared witness. And together we changed the world alone in the world i was beset by sorrow and hurt in my life so much loss and emptiness so little hope and understanding i wept for the pain in my heart i ached from the hardships i bore but my tears brought little relief and my burdens grew too heavy then I came into community, a religious community of hope and love. Here I found support and compassion, wisdom and grace, and the power of shared suffering. And together we made life sweeter. Alone in the world, I was beset by confusion and emptiness in my soul so much busyness and pettiness, so little depth of connection. I shriveled inside from want of real spiritual bonds and my soul cried out for meaning. Then I came into community, a religious community of hope and love, here I found support and encouragement, depth and diversity. And the power of sharing the journey and together we saved my life. For all the varied reasons that have brought us out of loneliness and into community, we give thanks. For the blessings we each bestow on one another with our energy, compassion and prayer, we give thanks. For the blessings we become to others in need, we give thanks and we remember that we are not alone. The Blessings of Community by Douglas
2: Taylor
0: Thank you Michael. So we're going to move now into an extended time of prayer and reflection. I encourage you to do whatever you need to do to get in the right state of body and mind for us to pray together. You might want to wiggle and get settled into a comfortable position You might want to adopt a prayerful posture, whatever that is for you. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to turn your camera off. Whatever helps you get your heart in the right place to be fully present with yourself, with each other, and with that which holds us all. This prayer is based on words by Elizabeth Buki. They're a modern variation on the Lord's Prayer. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being. As we turn our attention to the depths of this life, the cosmic mystery and wisdom that abides in all that is, we tune into your presence within us and amongst us. as we set out on this summer school week together, seeking to discern our mission and to share our wisdom. We ask for a blessing on our searching and discernment. Since we last gathered together a year ago, so much has happened in each of our individual lives and in the common life we share with all humanity And all those creatures for whom this precious earth is home. So let us take a moment to look back over this past year and all that it has brought us. The times of struggle and suffering in our own lives and in the life of the world. And those moments of joy and celebration that still somehow managed to break through. And in a few quiet moments of stillness now, let us silently bring to mind anyone we know to be in need of our prayers this evening. Those we know to be suffering through illness or injury, isolation or injustice. And let us also pray for those who care, those who act and speak out to improve the lot of those in need. And let us now silently focus our prayerful attention on all that we can still be grateful for this evening. The goodness that persists, despite all the world's challenges and uncertainties. All the kindness and beauty, pleasure and delight that we have known and witnessed. In this quiet moment of stillness, let us give thanks for life's persistent blessings. Spirit of life, God of all love, we gather in reverence and thanks for you, in honour of all that is of ultimate worth. We are grateful for the gift of another breath and for each moment of connection, beauty and truth. Cry with us in our pain for this troubled and hurting world. Remind us that we're loved just as we are. Remind us that we are connected with all that is. Remind us that we do not journey alone. Give us what we need for today. Call us back to our promises, commitments and values. Help us love ourselves and each other, and to show that love in our actions. Make us instruments of justice, equity, and compassion. Free us from all that is evil. For we declare that life and love are stronger than tyranny and fear that a world of beauty and love is coming and we must shape it together. Amen.
3: Growing a Beloved Community by Tom Owen Howe. This excerpt from Growing a Beloved Community by Unitarian Universalist minister, Tom Ointal, open with the quote from his ministerial colleague, John Bruins, who writes, blessed are you who know that the work of the church is transformation of society, who have a vision of beloved community transcending the present, and who do not shrink from controversy sacrifice, or change. Blessed are you indeed. Tom Owen Tower continues. My earliest formative glimpse of the beloved community was as a theological student in 1965 when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. summoned people of faith to Selma, Alabama. To create a righteous raucous. His nonviolence was tough minded and strong hearted. It resisted wrongdoing and challenged sloth. King's mission was clear. As he said, the end is reconciliation, the end is redemption, the end is the creation of the beloved community. Hundreds of Unitarian Universalist civil rights campaigners journeyed to Selma, Alabama, charged by their local churches to engage in this holy work. These stewards of justice knew that the beloved community is rarely embodied in any one place, time or group, but ever stretches its embrace to include outsiders, strangers, the humiliated, the marginalized. Prominent Unitarian John Haynes Holmes, who was a co-founder of the American Civil Liberties Union and the NAACP, held up a vision of the beloved community in his ministry. He renamed his parish to exemplify the practical acknowledgement of religion as the spirit of love incarnate in human fellowship, and with the core of its faith, the purpose of its life as the beloved community. He described a vision that spiritual pilgrims have designated variously as the new Jerusalem, the church universal, the glorious golden city, the realm of God, or the peaceable kingdom. In every case, the beloved community extends beyond any particular parish, society, or nation, to the very edges of the cosmos, welcoming all of God's creatures into its compassionate embrace. Is there a wider, more inclusive phrase than beloved community to embrace the global, ecological, congregational, and interpersonal challenges of existence? Can you imagine a more compelling imperative for liberal religion in today's troubled world? The beloved community is an ideal that can only be approximated during our lifetimes. We can grasp it in part, but not in full. Although the quest for it transcends generations and history, it also transforms us in the here and now. In our respective corners of the earth, Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists valiantly labour to create enduring sites of belovedness, constantly in need of pruning, ever unfinished. But we know this much to be true. Wherever healthy, vital churches thrive, our religion is contributing its fair share towards the beloved community.
0: Thanks Nicola. Let us sing together again now. A second hymn has a slightly mournful tune, but an uplifting message, one which echoes this notion of beloved community, an ever expanding circle of love and liberation from which no one is excluded. Please join in singing Break Not the Circle. Moving now into a time of meditation once again you might like to have a wiggle get yourself into a comfy position if you're upright you might want to make sure your feet are flat on the ground to steady yourself you might want to close your eyes again perhaps take a conscious breath scrunch your shoulders up and let them go slowly settle i'm just going to offer a few words now a few questions for you to ponder as we enter into a few minutes of shared silence. And during the silence, we'll have the chalice cam up on screen. We'll have some gentle music to take us out of the silence. And these words, these images, the music, they're just an offering. You're free to use this time to meditate in your own way. So as we enter into this time of shared stillness, I invite you to ponder this cluster of questions and feel free to just follow whichever prompt most speaks to you. Why are we here? That is, why are we here as a church? What is the purpose of our existence? What difference should we as congregations and as fellowships be making to the world? What is our mission? What do you understand our ultimate guiding purpose to be? Why are we here? Let's take these questions into a few minutes of shared stillness. So my job this evening is just to introduce our theme. We've got five fantastic speakers lined up for the week ahead and I've only got 15 minutes to play with. But still, I'm gonna offer a few preliminary thoughts on this topic. Why are we here? Discerning our Unitarian mission in an upturned world. I think it's important for us to start with an unflinching acknowledgement that to say that we're living in an upturned world is something of an understatement many of us likely feel overwhelmed right now both with grief at the sufferings of the world and all her people and with our own daily struggles many of us are exhausted if not traumatized navigating loss and uncertainty conflict and hardship in the midst of all of this covid is not over climate catastrophe is beyond denial well beyond intersecting injustices are being unveiled every way we turn and it's becoming clear how baked into the fabric of our society they really are how comprehensively things need to change if we're to right these wrongs the modern media landscape renders knowledge of all the world's sufferings inescapable Just this week, I read a piece by the Lutheran minister, Nadia Boltzweber, which reflects on all this. She writes, I used to live in a very old apartment building with super sketchy electrical wiring. Were I to audaciously assume that my hairdryer could run while my stereo was on, I would once again find myself opening the grey metal fuse box next to the fridge and flipping the circuit breaker. My apartment had been built at a time when there was no such a thing as an electric hairdryer and the system shut down when modernity asked too much of it. I think of that fuse box often these days because, friends, I just do not think that our psyches were developed to hold, feel and respond to everything that's coming at them right now. Every tragedy, injustice, sorrow and natural disaster happening to every human across the entire planet in real time every minute of every day. The human heart and spirit were developed to be able to hold and feel and respond to any tragedy, injustice, sorrow or natural disaster that was happening in our village. So my emotional circuit breaker keeps overloading because the hardware was built for an older time. I'm not saying we should put our heads in the sand. I'm saying that if your circuits are overwhelmed, there's a reason and the reason isn't because you're heartless is because there's not a human heart on this planet that can bear all of what is happening right now. A little bit of perspective from Nadia Boltzweber. So often when I'm confronted with the ills of the world or much closer to home, the struggles of my own life or the life of the communities and the institutions that I'm a part of, there's a simple phrase which often comes to mind. It doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. It's a simple phrase, but a powerful one, because so often the temptation is to be fatalistic, to assume that the way things are is the way things have to be. But it doesn't have to be like this. We could collectively choose to organize our lives, our institutions, our societies in a way that better serves the common good in a way which serves human flourishing and the health of the planet. I often think about this in terms of a God's eye view because God language, God imagery, that works for me. I wonder about what a world shaped by God's vision of love and justice might look like and how we might get from here to there, from where we are now to there. What might it require of us? And if god language doesn't work for you it's an easy enough switch to think of the highest good instead what would a world that was organized for the highest good look like what would that require of us so that's the context that's the upturned world a bit upturned both in the sense of being disrupted from what we were used to the world we knew before through covid and climate and an increasing awareness of systemic injustice and upturned in the sense of it being in many ways an inversion of how we might intuit that the world ought to be. So given that context, we can turn to the other bit of our title for the week. Why are we here? What is the particular mission of our Unitarian community in the world as it is today? What's our deep sense of purpose, our higher calling? What contribution can we make? What mission can we collectively get behind? feel a sense of ownership of, get fired up by. I realise again that language might be a barrier here. There may may well be a hesitancy amongst some about embracing the idea of mission at all. Let's not get tripped up by the language, as we so often do. Let's not get distracted from what really matters here. Call it our purpose or our why, if you like, but let's own it as a sacred purpose, a holy why because we are a religious community. Our mission, our purpose, our why, it will be rooted in our spiritual and our moral vision. So let's own that. It isn't, and it shouldn't be, just like the dry mission statement of any nondescript NGO you care to name. Let's articulate a vision which spells out what it is that we're ultimately here for. And if nothing else, it's a useful lens through which to view, through which to evaluate, our choices about what we're doing and how we're doing it. If we have a clearer sense of our why, our purpose, our mission, and if we hold this ideal before us, keep it front and center in all of our decision-making, whether that's personal or congregational or denominational, it will shape everything we do. It is important to periodically ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Does this particular course of action, this particular way of doing things really serve the mission? even if it's what we've always done. This sort of mission-centered reflection may, in changing times, lead us to see that some of our forms and practices need to adapt in order to truly fulfill our purpose as a religious community. Now, in a way, this is all preamble prior to putting my own cards on the table mission-wise. My sense of why we're here, what we're meant to be doing as a religious community is one that was laid out in our readings earlier, particularly the one by Tom Owen told that Nicola read for us. For me, the heart of our mission is building beloved community. And For the first umpteen years of my Unitarian life, I heard this phrase branded about such a lot out of context. It took me ages to realise that I hadn't understood what it meant at all. I thought when people were talking about beloved community, they meant something like striving to make our congregations friendlier, more inclusive, more welcoming places where we all played nicely and got along. Not that we always managed to achieve even that. But of course, nowadays, I realise that that phrase beloved community, those words carry a lot more weight. To speak of the beloved community with a big B and a big C in the way that Martin Luther King famously did, that is to hold up a vision of a world transfigured by love and justice, the world as God would see it. And as we heard in the reading earlier, there are many other names that gesture towards much the same vision. Take your pick, the kingdom or kingdom of God, Shalom Paradise, if you've read Stephen Lingwood's great book on Unitarian mission, we may hear more of that on Thursday. Perhaps you'd prefer to characterize it more simply as a better world. Each of these images, each of these metaphors has its own resonances, and some may appeal to you more than others. But again, let's not make the mistake of getting hung up on the language or have the vanity of small differences get in the way of discerning a coherent vision here. They all point towards a world where love and justice reign. A transformed world where all are liberated, set free from oppression in all its insidious forms, all of us enabled to live as our whole, authentic selves and flourish in our fullness. That is it, and what a dream that is. If this vision of the beloved community or the kingdom of God or Shalom or paradise, if this is one that speaks to your heart's longing as it does to mine, that deep longing for love and justice and liberation, If you too have a sense, like I do, that this should be the vision that shapes our Unitarian mission, then we have to ask ourselves, what would this mean in practice? What would it look like for our congregations to be building beloved community, as I'm sure many of them already are? There's a quote from Rebecca Parker on this. She's a prominent Unitarian Universalist and also United Methodist minister. This quote is one I find particularly compelling and I've really taken it to heart. She shares a vision of how our congregations can be communities of resistance, countercultural habitations in which people learn ways to survive and thrive that can resist and sometimes even transform an unjust dominant culture. They're an embodied experience of covenant and commitment, which ground life in shared rituals that nourish and strengthen people, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and intellectually, providing a deep foundation for courageous and meaningful living. There's a lot there, and I love it so much that I'm going to read it again. (laughs) Congregations can be communities of resistance, countercultural habitations in which people learn ways to survive and thrive that can resist and sometimes even transform an unjust dominant culture. They're an embodied experience of covenant and commitment which ground life in shared rituals that nourish and strengthen people spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and intellectually providing a deep foundation for courageous and meaningful living. For me this ties it all together this sense that we're living in an unjust culture but that it doesn't have to be that way that in small communities of resistance we can practice a different way of living one that's in alignment with our values and alignment with that vision of beloved community even if we're just a small flawed microcosm of beloved community or an outpost of paradise i like that one too In such communities, we can tell the truth about the grief and the overwhelm that we're experiencing. And as our opening words tonight said, we can gain insight and courage from the journey that we make as companions. We can practise grounding our vision of love and justice and liberation in the messy but meaningful reality of living alongside other mixed up human beings in all of their, all of our glorious complexity. Showing solidarity, and offering practical support as we each attempt to live wisely and well. This sort of community does not arise by accident. It takes intention and care and sustained work. That phrase that Parker uses, countercultural, that is important. There are so many magnetic forces in this prevailing culture that pull us back towards unjust and unloving and unfree ways of being by default. And these forces are often really subtle, ingrained habits of being. Ways of thinking that are hard to unlearn and also material realities that constrain our life choices and drain much of that energy that we might use to resist. We know, don't we? that often in our communities, the most privileged still hold most of the power. The loudest voices often dominate the conversation and drown out the tentative offerings of the quiet. Institutional inertia means that we often do what we've always done, so we get what we've always got. And we're often blithely unaware of all the barriers to participation that still exist for those who don't fit the mold. We might talk a good game in terms of diversity, but without critically examining our practice, those words are pretty empty. Beloved community is an aspiration. It is hard to live out this vision in practice, hard to create a culture that goes against the grain. But if we are to live out this vision, to build beloved community, to make our congregations little outposts of paradise, then we need to consciously doggedly break away from the prevailing norms and it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine this key to our mission as i see it is the sacred practice of intentionally creating safer softer kinder spaces spaces that are more just more equal more truthful spaces where every voice is heard where we resist privilege redistribute power practice consent and give up on pretense so that all can be authentically present as we truly are. I've experienced flashes of this reality from time to time in our Unitarian communities, most often at summer school, in fact, possibly because it's a bit easier to live up to such high ideals if you know you've only got to hold it together for a week in August, let's be honest. But also I've experienced it in various engagement groups and in groups like Heart and Soul. And, you know, now is probably not the moment for me to evangelise at length about the transforming power of engagement groups. Don't get me started. But I will just say that for me, such small groups are the key spiritual practice by which we Unitarians might make this vision of beloved community a reality. The key intention of groups like these is to cultivate right relationship with self, with others and with God, or however you prefer to characterise that larger reality which grounds and holds us all. At their best, these groups are carefully structured to be such counter-cultural communities of resistance, groups which break the habits of behaviour that we've learned from the wider culture and which model a better way of being. They involve group covenants, which shape how we relate and make space for each other and simple rituals and structures which ground us in that bigger reality, which remind us of the overarching spiritual purpose which we share. In these groups, we are called back again and again to our highest intentions and we're supported to realise our mission. And in truth, if you're not used to that sort of thing, they often feel clumsy and awkward. At first, you might feel terribly self-conscious once all your default conversational habits have been interrupted. but In time, you will notice that in these spaces, the quiet voices start to get heard. The invisible struggles start to get seen. People begin to trust one another with the deepest truths of their lives. These are places where we can be our whole selves, bringing our grief and our sorrow, our hopes and our joys, our messiness and our confusion. And we can feel safe in the sharing because we know they will be held in compassion and loving kindness. We can bring our concerns about the suffering and injustice in the world and our sense of overwhelm. And perhaps we can find the strength and solidarity, sometimes the practical help and support that we need to go on. And in my experience, the quality of relationship that we develop in these sort of groups and the habits of thought and behaviour and care, they slowly ripple outwards and have a wider influence. The conscious effort towards right relationship starts to come more naturally, and the culture gradually shifts. First, the culture of the congregation, but then, in humble ways, these ripples will spread beyond. Now, this is just one vision, one that's especially close to my heart of how we might characterize our mission and how we might begin to build the beloved community through this sort of small group practice. And you will hear five more visions at greater length from our team of speakers in the week ahead. To close though, I want to offer some words that are borrowed and slightly adapted from Starhawk. Inspirational words that perhaps speak to this vision. So may they inspire us as we journey onward together. Starhawk writes. We're all longing to go home to some place we've never been. A place half remembered and half envisioned, we can only catch glimpses of from time to time. Beloved community. Somewhere, there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere, a circle of hands will open to receive us. Eyes will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing. A circle of friends. Someplace where we can be free. Amen. let's sing together one last time this hymn seems so fitting to our theme that I I don't think it'll be the last time we sing it this week based on the prophetic words of Isaiah and Amos we'll build a land Thank you all for joining us in worship this evening i hope you'll come back on monday and throughout the rest of the week and we'll have a series of fantastic speakers as i said joe james shana parvin begum rory castle jones stephen lingwood and kate brady mckenna each giving their much more in-depth take on the theme i'm just the warm-up act as we come to a close uh, i want to remind you that we will open the chat box during the closing music and we'll keep the room open for a little bit in case you want to share any of your responses to the Are we here? Anything else you want to say? It doesn't have to be your final word on the matter. Just anything you want to share of your perspective as we start this week of exploration together. So our closing words now, our benediction, is based on words by Andrea hawkins Camper. May we see all as it is and may all be as we see it. May we be the ones to make it as it should be. For if not us, Who, if not now, when? This is answering the cry of justice with the work of peace. This is redeeming the pain of history with the grace grace of wisdom. This is the work we are called to do and this is the call we answer now. To be the barrier and the bridge. To be the living embodiment of our values to be a people of intention and a people of conscience, to be the ones who radiate love and truth and liberation for all, to be about the work of building the beloved community. May it be so for the greater good of all. Amen.